Hello and welcome to the Radical Reformers podcast. I'm Andrew Laird. This podcast is for people who want to understand what it really takes to make a positive impact in public services. It features leaders from councils, the NHS, central government, charities and social enterprises, as well as think tanks and social investors. This is about policy and the implementation of policy and the grit and determination it takes to run successful public services. It's not about politics. Politics does not feature at all and the discussions are all the better for it. It's also about the stories and personal journeys of the leaders I speak to, the challenges they faced and the lessons they've learned. Running and reforming public services is incredibly difficult and I'm very grateful to these inspiring leaders for taking the time to share with others. So before we get into it, I just want to take a second to thank my friends and colleagues at Mutual Ventures for supporting me to do this podcast. My day job at Mutual Ventures is about supporting public services to be better, more sustainable and more connected to communities. This means working with central government departments to help them build bridges between policy development and local implementation. It means working with councils to help them plan for the future. And it also means working with NHS trusts to help them find their place in the new health and care system. So I hope you enjoy this podcast and that you get as much from it as I have. And don't forget to subscribe on the website or follow us on LinkedIn or Twitter to make sure that you never miss a future episode. And you might even want to go back and listen to some of the older ones. Hi everyone, this latest episode of the Radical Reformers podcast is a real treat. It's with Helen Thompson, who's the Deputy Chief Executive of the Calico Group. It's an amazing organisation that operates in the Northwest and does all sorts of things, from house building, housing provision, to drug and alcohol, addiction support, employability support, health and wellbeing support. It's an amazing organisation, or group of organisations, I should say. Helen and I cover a lot of ground in this conversation, but the two things to really look out for are how the Calico Group is able to join up the different services that an individual or a family might need. And it's really impressive how they do that and how they approach each individual, not trying to put them in a box, but just trying to understand what their needs are and provide them holistic support that will really help get them to where they need to get to. The other thing to look out for is how they give opportunities to people with lived experience to participate in the delivery of services. And that's really powerful. If you think of drug and alcohol addiction support services, who better to connect with people who are struggling with that than somebody who has been on the journey? And the Calico Group really get that. And Helen really understands that and explains it extremely well. And then just a couple of other quickfire things before we hear from Helen. She talks about the importance of being prepared to take risks when you're delivering public services. And we talk about the concept of reverse mentoring. And also we have a great discussion at the end where Helen's really honest about her leadership approach and the importance of recruiting really great people who, in her own words, are better at the different service areas than she is. And her job is to bring it all together and help those people be all they can be. Let's hear from Helen. So I am delighted to be joined by Helen Thompson, who is the Deputy Chief Executive of the Calico Group. Helen, it's really great to see you. I am too. Yeah, great to be here today. I'm looking forward to our chat. 
Fantastic. Helen, I wonder if you could start just by telling people a little bit about who you are. Brilliant. Yes. Yeah, so my role here at the Calico Group is Deputy Chief Executive. I've been here about 14 years now. I never imagined I would be here that long when I arrived, but I've been sucked in and um, I'm living my best life. Yeah. Um, previously, I came from Places for People, where, which is a great big housing association, and I brought my housing knowledge into Calico but Calico has obviously grown um, significantly over the last 10 years. We do a whole range of services across the North West. Yeah. So I, I will ask you a bit about the Calico group specifically, but just to, to stay on you for a second, what's your kind of professional background? Where did you start and how, how did you end up where you are now in, yes. in terms of kind of, you know, subject matter? Okay, so I um, when I graduated from uni, I fell into housing. The only thing I knew when I finished university was I wanted to work helping people. I didn't want to work for um, a profit-making organisation. And I was very lucky to fall into housing and felt in a really comfortable place just in terms of values. And I worked my way through admin into neighbourhood officer. I worked in dealing with antisocial behaviour for quite a few years. And I then um, got really into customer engagement. So kind of the community mm. side of people um, beyond the how the buildings um, side of housing into kind of people and, and what makes people thrive. So yeah. that's that's been my passion right through my career, really, is that need for us to be engaging with other human beings on a really positive level. And a, a real belief for me that everybody deserves a fair chance and that yeah. the way that we interact, the, the services that we provide, the housing that we provide is the thing that can give people real stability and um, steps up in life. So yeah. I've focused my career really around wanting to support people to live best life they possibly can yeah i want to ask you a little bit more about that later on particularly that emphasis you've got on relationships and how important seeing the human is rather than just a pathway or a process or something like that but before i do just so people can be fully aware of this the calico group does a lot of things it's a really impressive range of services can you describe how it's structured and how it fits together because it's almost like a business of businesses isn't it it very much is um it's so we are a real group which is focused around the housing association so we're based in burnley which is where we started with a smallish housing association we've got five thousand properties and they transferred over from the council back in 2000 and over the last 20 years we have gradually added on support charities into the group, really around addressing need. So in Burnley, a lot of the people here are vulnerable and have, have specific needs. And what we've managed to do is add on different services such as domestic abuse, um, addiction services, skills and employment. Mm. Um, and we also set up a construction company because one of the things that the Housing Association does is develop properties often supported housing properties and what we wanted to do was have a really ethical approach to construction so we set up yeah. a construction company whereby all of the money we spend building or um, renovating our existing homes goes through that building company and all of the profit profits are reinvested back into the group so rather than having yeah. the profit go out to a private company we keep it within and the model is it wasn't my idea so I can say this is absolutely genius 
Um, yeah. it's, you know, it's a great, it's a great way of, um, kind of maximizing the money that we get, which would, would just go out into the private sector otherwise. Yes, indeed. Um, what size is the group and what areas of the country do you work in? Sure. So we have a thousand employees, probably over right. now. Every time I see a figure, it keeps going up. And yep. we have quite a lot of volunteers working in lots of our services. And we work right across the northwest from um, up in Morecambe right down to South Manchester. And our reach is kind of we go into prisons. I always think that's sort of like the most specific place we can work um, out yep. into properties, communities, um, working with individuals or groups of people um, all around helping support people with life generally. Um, one of the areas you mentioned that you work in is skills and employment. Can you give an example of the type of work you do just to bring it to life? Sure. So we work a lot with young people who are not in education or, or skills and training already. So we're kind of hooking those people in in a variety of places. Often we're starting with lack of confidence, self-esteem, and even just the basic skills of getting out of bed in the morning and getting to a place, yeah. using transport to get to places. One of the projects that we've got, which is the, the one that really shines out of this organisation, is called Project Search. And I'm always really keen yeah. to promote Project Search to everybody because it's um, a programme for young people with learning disabilities and autism. And what we do is we provide um, internships within the organisation for those young people to come and work for a year in different placements, learn um, skills, get some experience in the workplace and then go on into full paid employment, either with us or um, with another employer. And it's a beautiful model because we have a um, a coach and we have um, a teacher on site. So we've got a classroom and the way the young people work is they spend some time in the classroom and they, they then come out into the business. And for us, it's been absolutely transformational in terms of culture because we've just become so open-minded um, these young people are challenging us day in day out I've just had literally just come back from the kitchen now and this um, young guy was just saying to me he said we should have a dog grooming um, centre and he showed me a picture of his that his sister had groomed his dog yeah, yeah. His and it looked insane <laughs> and I just thought right yeah that's the next thing then isn't it we need a dog grooming centre <laughs> so I love it it's um yeah, it's a great project, Project Search. It sounds fantastic. And it's it, it feels very much like some of the conversations I've been been having with other public service innovators around the country where it's trying to not be so service focused and more just treating the person like a, a human being with multiple needs. And, you know, you, you mentioned having a coach and things like that. I'm sure that coach is is able to think quite broadly in terms of the support that the people their help might need. Absolutely, yeah. I think where we like to work is in the grey. It's not always possible, but what we recognise is that each individual is an individual and their needs are so diverse. Um, and we need to meet people where they're at in terms of helping support because you have to build that trust in relationship. And we don't yeah. get it perfect. I mean, I, I literally have just been in the project search classroom and they were saying, they were saying, we don't give enough apprenticeships. We don't, we do have a lot of apprenticeships, but what they're saying is the way their access into them um, needs to be a different route in. 
because they don't like yeah. it going a lot of people don't like to go through the interview process they want to they want to work in a different way there's this there's this bit about how do you get into these roles when you haven't got experience and so we're always yeah. learning and, and trying to adapt our processes and our systems because we recognize that just one route doesn't suit everybody yeah. and in fact in many cases a lot of, a lot of the systems and processes people are going through actually can cause problems by putting people in boxes and then they don't necessarily get the help that they actually really really need so how do you get funded for that is there a single commissioner for that work or um because the the reason i'm asking is that quite often commissioning takes place for something that's very rigidly defined and it sounds like you've got quite a bit of flexibility there. And I'm sure people listening might be thinking, well, who who funds this amazingly flexible work that you're able to do? <laughs> it depends which a bit of the business that you go into as to how. Well, let, let's say the are. skills, the skills and employment bit for now. Uh, the skills and employment bit will be commissioned by a range of different partners. Um, so Project Search, we, we fund part of it ourselves. And I think that's partially why okay. we, um, right. because of the benefits we get. For our organisation, we we fund that partially ourselves. But I think a lot of the funding goes to the college, and the, and funding goes to the individuals themselves, the young people. So it's like a real partnership approach. And actually, we find okay. you know the college provides the teacher, we provide the job coach, and the young people get some some funding direct from the government. And when okay. you pool all that together, then you you have got quite a bit more flexibility. And also, if you if you're putting a bit of money in, it gives you just a bit of an opportunity to influence the direction of some of it. See, this is why organisations like yours are so useful for an area to have because you you're willing to think flexibly, uh, flexibly, and you've basically built this service yourself taking bits of funding from different places and just making it work. Whereas a private sector provider would deliver a commission service and that's it. And maybe they do some extra stuff, but the way that you built that is really innovative, I think. Yes. So Project Search is an established model. So there are lots of people providing it um, across the UK, but also across the world. Um, I think our model is slightly different here because we do do fund the job coach. Okay. But, but I think um, the NHS have lots of really successful project search models because a lot of it is about the type of work that the young people want to go into, but are also able to do because they're, um, they're bringing particular skills and attributes to to work roles. Um so some, yeah. some of the, you know, so finding the right placement for the right individual is really important. Yeah. And so having a job that you find fulfilling is a big part of health and well-being. What other elements of health and well-being do you support? So we do loads around health and well-being, particularly yeah. working with people who we describe it at rock bottom. So reach yeah. crisis point um, and, and real crisis point for people. You know, we, we're dealing with people at the worst point of their lives. And that might be about addiction or that might be about domestic abuse, might be about mental health or homelessness. And um, we've got, I suppose we've got a specific model, really, which is we use a lot of people um with lived experience and lots of volunteers, particularly in our um, addiction services, yeah. um, who reach out into these communities and find these people and can build amazing relationships and connections with people. 
with a real empathy and understanding about what what people are going through and that and those people working for us in in our services means that we're kind of hooking people in and people have got role models and um people that they can rely on that then help them on their journey through services as well yeah and then your your role is as a housing as a housing provider housing association do are a lot of the people who you support are they living in your 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 housing stock is that kind of your access point to them quite often they, they can be if they're in Burnley so so in Burnley it's where most of our housing stock is so here we have our um domestic abuse services so we have a refuge here and we have a complex needs refuge which I'll talk about in a second we've also got a homeless scheme which is complex needs as well and then we have our skills and employment services here. So if you're in Burnley as a Calico customer, you are sorted because you've got all of these things that we can plug into our offer to you. It is part yeah. of our challenge, you know, when we think about growth and where we are going, we think about it through the lens of the customer, as in the, the places that we probably need to go to is maybe where we've got one or two services. A, part of our issue often is that we're not providing the housing in these places. So for example, in Blackpool, where we provide the substance misuse support, yeah. we don't provide the housing there. So we're right. not able to bring together the substance misuse offer and the housing offer, which is is often two things that need to go hand in hand. So in those places, we have to work really closely with the existing providers um, or we, you know, we, we try something different with our model. And the, 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 I suppose the most the most different thing we've tried is here in Burnley, which is to have these two schemes, Gateway and Jane's Place, which are complex needs supported housing. So it means that you you can move into these places for up to two years and you can actually still be using drugs and alcohol whilst you are in these buildings. You you will have mental health issues, you will have been homeless Mm. or all those things. And as long as people are kind of committing to working towards reducing their usage or um, becoming abstinent, then yeah. we work with those people in a kind of holistic way in, the, in those buildings. And yeah. we found those places, they're extremely challenging to run, but yeah. the impact that you can make on people's lives in terms of transforming from, from rock bottom right through to living really sustainably and moving out into a tenancy usually in the local area where we can continue to provide some support that that's sort of like the perfect model really and we yeah. wish we could do more of that but there are so many limitations to to housing I suppose is our key challenge. I think that that that's an amazing example and for a lot of let's say council finance directors who might be listening to this that sort of service and the, the funding offer requires some investment, but the saving at the end of the day, when you help a person who's in crisis and probably engaging with expensive public services at multiple points, having a, having a very unfulfilling life at the same time to get them back on track is not only brilliant for them, but it's an amazing saving for the public coffers as well. Absolutely, definitely, especially when people get into employment as well. You know, that's kind of yeah. the, final, the final piece of the, the jigsaw. And well, they guys, actually become net, you know, contributors potentially at the end yeah. of the day. Yeah. yeah. And it happens time after time, you know, and it's what's fascinating for me in my own personal journey of 
working with people. So I worked in housing, which was one thing. When we started working in the support services and I started to work alongside people who society will write off. So these people will have been in prison. They'll have been taking heroin, you know, smack crack, all all of the, the things that society looks down on. They'll have been at their absolute bitter end. They'll have done crime and all of those things. Yeah. Yet now I, I, this seat that I'm sitting in here, um, the last time we did one of these these podcasts, I was somebody somewhere else and somebody with lived experience was sitting in this seat. And I was just thinking, it's so amazing that, isn't it, that, that somebody's society will have written off or is now sitting in my seat talking yeah. outwardly about what change is possible for people. And I suppose yeah. that's what, what I'm always now trying to push is that we, you know, just with the right support. Not everybody can change, but the, often it's about the opportunities, it's the, the support that people get. And that turnaround where people can contribute back to society is completely possible. It's, it's, I can see it in front of my very own eyes. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure you've got some fantastic examples and you, you've kind of explained some of the journeys there. As you can probably tell from my questioning, I'm really interested in integrating services and trying to break down the walls between the silos of the different services because I think that's the only way that you really support people in the way that you've described there and I'm guessing one of the advantages of being a group with such a wide range of services is that you can create your own more holistic support and seamless pathways for people um, is that right? And just it'd be great to hear a little bit more about how you actually do that in practice. Yes, it is 100 percent right. We Our real success stories that rise to um, the top, I guess, are the ones where somebody has come in at the bottom, you know, their rock bottom yeah. and has moved all the way through a bit like I just described there. Um, the biggest challenge to it, honestly, I think, is ourselves, our own internal yeah. structure and the way we're working. So it was amazing, actually, as we came back after COVID and how um, because we hadn't been together and we hadn't spent a lot of time because a thousand people across the organisation, because all the parts are kind of separated away and were doing brilliant work in their own particular place. We'd lost a lot of that customer journey and pathway stuff. And we also had lots of new colleagues joining us as well. So yeah. an, an ongoing challenge we've got in our organisation is consistently fed back by everybody that they don't know what everybody else does. So yeah. um, they, they, we don't necessarily know. We've got a male refuge in Pendle, for example. Um, the people yeah. up in Blackpool might not necessarily know about that. So it's it's a never-ending challenge for us to identify ways to bring people together share information we call it one calico and it's it's at yeah. the very core of everything we do you know that actually try to get people together in um, different settings just to have conversations yeah. because often what we find is because people here care so much they end up talking about you know whatever their challenges are and then ideas burst from those conversations yeah Often a lot of our best um, things that we've delivered have come from those moments where people have said, well, I, co- I wasn't able to manage with this customer because I couldn't get this. And someone says, well, did you know that you can get that there and we could put these bits together and it it would just make this. So yeah. I don't think it's the external world necessarily that is, is the challenge. It's it's us. Um, yeah. Yeah. There's a brilliant example. I was just talking to our um, managing director of Ringstones from our our construction company and he was describing somebody who joined his team who was um, it was a guy who had been suffering from domestic violence 
he yeah. moved out of his home and into one of our refuges and he was then supported there and he had to build his confidence back up um, which took quite a while really and as he started to feel confident again he wanted to get back into work and and our domestic abuse team contacted the construction company and said well he's a ground worker have you got any work and the, um, the construction company said yes we have you know we, we've always got ground work going on and um, so he started working for our construction company so and moved into a property and yeah. um, sort of started his life back up again so it's that kind of interaction and conversation that can um happen it's amazing and how how do you so say you you're you come into contact with somebody with a range of complex needs and challenges how how do you go about building the support around them is there a lead a lead support person who who is the who builds the relationship or how how does it how do you do it it depends where they access us so the because we're out and about in so many different communities we've got refuges across the northwest we've got yeah. uh, lots of community-based drug and alcohol services so a lot of our customers are coming in via those specific places and then their needs are assessed at that that point of entry and what we try to do is make their entry in as easy as possible because we we know particularly with domestic abuse if somebody manages to get away and in and has a conversation um if if they don't feel trust or they don't feel listened to that that sort of could be their one chance um, yeah. so we try really you know that, that our offer is to be as welcoming as possible bring people in where we can because people would be presenting to us in a range of different scenarios and um, I mean, there are times we are unable to accommodate people. So in, in the domestic abuse services, I think we're only able to accommodate up to kind of 40 percent of the people who actually present yeah. to us for a range of different reasons. But demand for our services in all of them is so exceptionally high and yeah. we do struggle to accommodate as many people as we would like to. Yeah. So I, I'm guessing that your staff who are coming into contact with your, I think you call them customers, which I think is very respectful rather than service users, your staff who come into to contact, I'm guessing they are trained and um, kind of expected to take a wider view of a person and try and identify what their needs are rather than just if they're working in housing, they're only worried about getting them into housing or if they're working in employment, they're only worried about getting, you know, I'm sure it sounds like they have to be able to take a wider view. That's absolutely right. Yes. So you will find, so we're we're driven by our values at Calico and what we've done a massive exercise across the organisation. What we found is sort of the strongest value is caring. So through our recruitment processes, which recruit to values, We've ended up with a thousand people that just really genuinely care about other human beings. So yeah. they always um, approach somebody comes for help. People approach that with a desire to want to help that individual, knowing they've got the back of the rest of the group and the breadth of our services to help. So yeah. I think people are quite open minded. Um, and whilst we don't do any specific training, we do do things like trauma informed training. Um, we're doing lots of work around, you're right, we call it customer, we've got customer strategy. It's not the perfect word, but we can't find a perfect word, so we've, we've got over that. Um, yeah. But, you know, the idea is that we, we are building these relationships with other human beings who, at that point in their lives, 
need something and generally well, I, I just think it. yeah it, it, it is a difficult word when you're thinking about public services customer but when as you've been talking I'm thinking in my mind that if you call somebody a service user they're generally just there to accept whatever service is given to them whereas a customer has an input into what they wish to receive yeah. and that is probably quite an important mindset definitely there is some, there's some choice to the matter with a, with a customer I mean, yeah. I guess what we don't want to do is say everybody has got choice because we recognise that some people are so marginalised that they haven't. And some people actually don't want choice when they come to us. They just want us to help, you know. Yeah. But with, with time, with that journey as they move up the kind of path of human needs, we call it, that um, having choice and having your own agency is a really important part of thriving and the relationship we want to create within the organisation is is one of humanity, I guess, with our customers is is one to recognise that we are all humans and that we, we have the resources or we have the skills or the experience, but that is to be shared and that is to help people. Improve. So just, yeah, so just moving away from your, your customers now to commissioners, do you find that commissioners generally get what you're about and they understand that the totality of what you offer might go beyond what they they're particularly empowered to commission and do they appreciate that and do they kind of support you to do that yeah so locally we have really good relationships with commissioners local authority partners third sector organizations lots of people do really understand the impact that we have Um, there are places that where people are um, don't and We've been sort of in and out of a few services where we've thought, our, you know, our values don't quite align with the, with whoever the commissioner is. But generally, I, I think that people really recognise Calico as a can-do organisation and see us getting into those spaces where other yeah. people have, um, it's more difficult for them to get into because they're not able to take the same risks or be quite as agile as as we are. So I, th- yeah. when, I think commissioners would love to be able to, be more dynamic in their commissioning and we've had a couple of little pilots with commissioning places where where we've been able to build more into the package and lots of what we do offer um tends to be as broad as it possibly can and we will weave extra parts in so for example we've got a substance misuse contract at the moment where we've woven in skills and employment you know into that package because it's such a fundamental part of recovery is you know getting into employment and having a a job and structure and money and all those things so we are we are making ground but our board is very ambitious we have this idea that you know we the perfect dream would be that we would be commissioning around being able to pull all of the package together holistically around people and we wouldn't have to be so so sort of strict around how that applies because and um, for that very reason you know each human is is different yeah. but we we know we've got a way to go and we don't necessarily feel like it's going racing forward at the pace that we would like it to be but um and I know our board is ambitious and they want us to kind of push out further to sort of demonstrate some of the work that we are doing so that we're providing yeah. some kind of blueprints for for people that's uh, super interesting. Thank you for explaining that. Um, from one of our previous conversations, I know when you just mentioned it earlier, you're working on a on a customer strategy which looks to shift the power balance from the organisation to customers. Can you just explain what 
problem you're trying to solve with that and how you're going about it? Yes, absolutely. So the problem we're trying to solve is a big problem. It's inequality in society. Um, and we are working, obviously, against the grain because it does feel and all the evidence is showing that inequality is only increasing at the mm-hmm. moment. So what we want to do is get control of that in the space that we can influence. And we, where we see it, and we're still at the beginning of this journey, is that that, that works at from an individual level. So even just to the nature of the conversation that we have with the individual when we when we meet with them, putting the power into their hands in terms of personalising that service. So a bit like we talked about before, not just fitting them in a box, but really understanding what matters to them and then offering what we can to to help and support with that. So that puts the power to them in that position. And then what we're trying to do is flow that right through the organisation. So we have customers working alongside us to deliver services. That's the lift experience offer. We've got customers working alongside us to um, shape services and do service improvement. And then we're just working on the model of governance at the moment where we have um, on the housing association board, we've got a customer and we would like more. And we ha- we're just building up some groups of customers to work alongside the board. And we're yeah. working really hard to find ways to bring the customer voice up to that governance level yeah. in a really um, holistic way, I guess. We've we've done a little bit, we've trialled this internally, we've done a bit of um, reverse mentoring, which has been fascinating. Okay. Yeah, how does reverse mentoring? Could you just explain that? Yeah, so reverse mentoring, we've only done it internally, but we, so for example, I've had a mentee who's a young Asian girl who volunteered to be mentored by me, but I also learned from her. So she, we've talked a lot about her cultural upbringing, some of the challenges she faces. I've talked about my career and how I've got to where I am and we've just yeah. shared openly and honestly um, that stuff and then what's happened now is she's she sort of advises me on various different projects and things from her perspective yeah. um, as with her unique perspective and it's fascinating you know it's opened my mind and I just think there's so many people I need to reverse mentor so many things I need to know um, but we're starting to do we've done that across the exec team and we would like to broaden that out to boards with customers, um, you know, kind of doing the reverse mentoring. And the other thing we've got, sorry, I was going to say the other bit, the other piece that we've got that is quite exciting for us is we we work to create creative projects, so films or poetry or arts-related topics, which try to capture the lived experience in quite a unique way. And we put those... Obviously, our boards get to see those, but we're also trying to sort of influence wider society with some of that stuff, just around trying to create empathy and understanding for the lived experience where we can kind of close ourselves down to why somebody might be homeless or why somebody might be an addiction. And we've got that agenda just bubbling away as well. Yeah, the reverse mentoring idea is fantastic. I think there is a risk that when people move up an organisation to the level of you know, deputy chief executive, that you, you risk becoming detached from what's actually going on and just having that very real challenge and different perspective is so important. Yeah, 100% agree. I mean, I I feel like the more 
further up and the more away from it I get, the more I need to spend time actually yeah. purposefully in the organisation. And I do. that's why I really enjoy doing the creative work, because I get to just go out into community centres and spend time with real life people. Um, yeah. And, you know, you, you know, you're checking in, um, you're enjoying the experience, but you're checking in on how things are going, what's going on in people's lives, whether the decisions we're making are congruent and right for that that moment from my experience the best chief execs and you know other leaders within charities and social enterprises they all do that because yes. you lose touch and you also it's it's about staying in touch with your with your customers to use your term but it's also about understanding how the organization works and, and if things are working efficiently and if stuff's happening that doesn't need to happen and other things might be better. You know, you do, if you're so detached from it and you're just looking at a spreadsheet and a, and a written report or something, you can't possibly get under the skin of whether a service is really performing well or not. That's right. And even if you work in an organisation like ours where everybody's really honest and quite happy to tell me where things are going wrong, you still only get to hear the best the best bits of what's going wrong so yeah, you, you yeah. Know, everyone wants to tell the deputy chief except the senior people the good stuff don't they so you, you yeah. have to be really conscious of of that um yeah. because it's you know you have you have to be on it don't you in terms of your decision making particularly in a, a, an organization like ours where we're responding so closely to need um what would you say to people who are listening to this and thinking i'd love to do that but i just don't have time to do to getting out and about. Yeah. Yeah. So I I could say the same thing, very much so. I the only way I can make myself do it is put it in my diary. <laughs> it sounds so yeah. basic. Put it in my diary and hold myself to account for doing it. So getting enough time ahead. Yeah. Yeah. Prioritise it. Yeah. Yeah. And and making it. So I I've managed to shape this program of creative work in our organisation, which is adding lots of value, but it, it is. Um, something that I'm really interested in. It's nothing more. Yeah. I enjoy nothing more than going and sitting in a room with customers, people who've had these really difficult lives, and watching them stand up and speak poetry or create some music. Or um, yeah. it's, it's brilliant, you know. So maybe find something that you're passionate about, and then yeah. build a little bit of that into your organisation, and then go and watch it happening. Because then yeah. you will make the time. And it's it's so much more powerful for you as a leader when you're engaging with other organisations, w- with commissioners, if you've got those real stories that you can draw on. And you're not just talking about it secondhand. You're, you've actually experienced it. That makes you a much more authentic and, you know, a, a convincing leader and much better at selling, inverted commas, what you do as an organisation. Yeah, so I learned that. It's interesting that I learned that back when I worked at places people I remember because my role was national lead on customer involvement. Yeah. And I can remember sitting in meetings. I was quite junior at that point, but sitting in meetings with all these big senior people saying things about budgets and whatever. And I, all I would have to say is this is this is what this customer said. And everybody would go dead silent and just listen yeah to what it yeah. was it was like I realized at yes. that point gosh the customer voice is so powerful because yeah. most people aren't getting exposed to it but everybody kind of gets that if you if yeah. you really understand what's going on for the customer and you really respond and, and recognize that it's absolute gold dust yeah. insight 
to know. So I've I've used that right through my career. This is what the customer says. <laughs> well, it's it's incredibly powerful. Um, I just want to go back to uh, to get you to talk a little bit more about how you bring people with lived experience into the workforce, and maybe if there are a few examples of that that have worked particularly well. Yes. So we've got one part of the organisation, ACORN, which works in substance misuse. And we've got probably over 70% of the workforce there have lived experience. And the model is often that people go into treatment with ACORN. So ACORN is you will be abstinent to be accessing ACORN services. And as part of your recovery journey, often what happens to people as, as, as they reach the end of that is that they reach this point where they want to give back because so much has transformed for them and they end up feeling really grateful for what they've yeah. received. So we find that there are lots of people that come out the end that need to stay part of the, the recovery community. So we're keeping them hooked in. But we then create volunteer roles, range of different yeah. volunteer roles that might be working in a community centre or working in it sort of in some of the services and meeting and greeting people and people mm. will work as volunteers for a period of time and then often what people do is either go down a route of getting their formal qualification so into yeah. counselling and they they go through that and then they can come back into ACON and work as counsellors or mm. they may they may follow a slightly different route looking into kind of the support um, service roles um, we've got a model up in Lancaster which is peer support so people working in A&E um, yeah. so they're you know as people as I see people in A&E they might be going and talking to them about um, recovery and bringing people into the services that we can provide yeah yeah fantastic um, I want to ask you about leadership and culture everything you've said this is threaded throughout but obviously Calico is a big organization over a thousand people as you say with a number of different different organizations within the group how do you stop it becoming all about numbers and standardized processes how, how do you create a culture which allows the flexibility that you as you've described it which is so important to your success in delivering good services yeah so it's an endless job it's a, yes. a constant yeah. tug of war. So we do it through values. So we've we've been working on our val well with values in the organisation for about a decade now. So we did a piece of work where we surveyed everybody in the organisation about their top values, and then we brought all of those together and we turned those into our values statement, if that's the right phrase for it. And what that means is we've got what we call three values. So we've got one about customers, so going one step further with customers, one about people, their own well-being and the culture of the organisation. And then we have one about the business, the organisation itself, which is the catch-all for finance, governance. We've put the environment in there at the moment, but that probably yeah. needs its own. And what we have to do is constantly make sure that the balance is split between those three and over yeah. the last kind of decade, what we found is there have been times where we've veered too, towards one too much. There was, there was a bit, we did COVID, we veered towards people there because we were spending a lot of time obviously supporting managers and colleagues. And what we found when we came back after COVID was we needed to move out of that space and come back to the business and really focus on yeah. finance and governance and structure and all of those things again. 
And then yeah. we realized we were not talking about customers as much, which is why the customer strategy is coming. So it's, it's a constant rebalancing that we, we feel, I guess, we haven't got a process through which we evaluate ourselves against the values, but what tends to happen is we can start to feel it going off balance. Um, yeah. And you can, the people in the organization, when, when new people join, people always say, we heard that, you know, you, you're led by values, but now we're here get what you mean you know it's so it's so different and people hold us to account people have no issue coming to me or Anthony about we've not you know that that value there is not being met anymore we want to see yeah. more of this uh but it gen- generally is a fair challenge most of the time that's fantastic um I wanted to ask you a little bit about your own journey so this is a challenge that people who move up the leadership ladder sometimes fine so you you said that you come from a housing background and you were probably i imagine an expert in housing understanding all the nitty-gritty of it as you progress and your responsibilities broaden you obviously can't be a deep expert in everything how have you managed that transition in your own head and I, i guess one of the answers might be it's about values and actually you lead with values but i'd love to hear um whether that was a challenge for you or uh, you know, how, how did you make the transition, I guess, to being more of a, I don't want to use the word generalist, but, you know, so, somebody who has to have a hand in everything, but maybe not a deep expert in everything? Yes. So my, I think my the secret to my success is always recruit people who are better than you. Um, <laughs> Very so. good. Yes, I employ that one as well in, in, <laughs> in mutual ventures, definitely. <laughs> um, yeah, having a team of experts who are brilliant at the work that they do is is absolutely key and then where I have to spend a lot of my time now is kind of coordinating and pulling it all together and playing that oversight role of it all yeah and keeping everyone going in the right right direction and it was just a learning curve for me so yeah I was was housing and then I had construction added in so I just had to invest a lot of time going in and spending a lot of time in the construction company learning the detail of the finances and that that kind of thing um, for for construction and then when I also picked up the charity part of the organization it was about going out and it probably took a couple of years to be honest by the time I got round all the services developed relationships with people got a real understanding of the types of services that we provide I mean I still don't know everything which sounds mad doesn't it as the deputy chief sometimes I sit in meetings and think I didn't even know we did that <laughs> um, which shows, you know, the, the sort of very organic nature of this organisation. But yeah. we've got a really connected leadership team. So we try to just make yeah. sure we've got all of the bases covered and that as, as much is um, being driven forward as possible. I think you've really hit the nail on the head there with the hiring great people, which is easier said than done, let's face mm. it. But hiring great people and then trusting them and being comfortable to let them make make decisions within a clear framework and not feeling that you have to micromanage everything because you know you do see some leaders who are just overwhelmed by a feeling of needing to be totally on top of everything yeah and then you kind of are asking them well why did you hire all these great people if you feel like you have to double check everything yeah yeah definitely i mean we we have tried to create a culture in the organization of trust and honesty so again i think it's quite different when new leaders come in because um it can feel quite 
different really because we encourage people to tell us when they've got it wrong when they've made mistakes yeah. we encourage people to say i don't know how to do that um you know and then if we know that we can get somebody else to do it you know we we encourage people to expose the things that have challenges and yeah. because the idea is that collaboratively across this whole leadership team that we've got someone yeah. will be able to help and and help drive something forward or if we can't, because sometimes we're picking up new areas of expertise or challenges, we, we bring in some yeah. expertise to help with whatever the, the, the key challenge is. But you're yeah. right, it's, it's a very difficult recruitment market at the moment. Yeah. And finding people. I mean, it is, it's hard anywhere, isn't it? But we always say it's very hard at Calico to lead because we've got so many expectations in terms of, we want people to lead by these values, which is different to just kind of what you would imagine a traditional leader to be leading by. It's quite a selfless leadership model that we, yeah. we try to create. And we also are really ambitious. We want to do more. We want all our quality to be really good and we don't settle on that. And obviously the external world is so, so challenging at the moment. So it's, it isn't an easy role, but what we find is people do stay because of the culture and because yeah. of the fact that they do have that freedom to do new things, make decisions, be um, try things, get things wrong. That's OK. Um, yeah. And is then it, they see it, the impact. It is. It is amazing, actually, the. It's amazing that one of the key factors as to whether you retain somebody or not is more often than not not really about the money. It's about how empowered they feel, how in control of their own their own destiny they feel. And I think it's quite easy to overlook that and assume it's just about money. Yes. Yeah. Well, that's my own personal journey, as in that I've had a brilliant opportunity here to grow, do more introduce things that I wanted to do, influence the way that we're doing things. And I'd like to think that everybody, not just the leaders in the organisation, but we, we genuinely really encourage anybody, even even the people who are out working with our customers, especially the people who are out with our customers, yeah. to, to be able to bring forward ideas or um, be able to be adaptive in the service that they're providing, depending on their own judgment according to what the right thing is to do at that moment in time. Yeah. Oh, Helen, as a final question, what bit of advice would you give to someone working in or around public services who wants to make an impact in the way that you have? So I can only speak for myself, but about two or three years ago, I did some work with a coach around finding my purpose in life. Yeah. And I, I know that I want to change the world um, and I don't I don't settle for anything less now. I'm just out there trying to do that. And I think what I've realised is that by understanding what my purpose is, it's really driven me forward. It's given me momentum where I felt a bit stuck before. And then all of the challenges that we've got around resources or reconfiguring things or all the stuff that's escalated day in, day out with these senior roles, we get all the really challenging things. I just know I can always step away from it and think it doesn't matter because all of that dealing with it contributes to the purpose that I have, which this organisation is trying to do itself. Linking yourself and your purpose to your work is, is key. That's really interesting. And it's it sounds really simple, but... I have an idea, but it's not clear totally in my head. I have an idea what I think mine is, but I've never sat down with anybody and, ha- and been forced to articulate it really clearly. 
Um, I think that would help a lot. Yes, I definitely know what it is. Tell me. No, I don't. I don't. I don't. I, I just. It's similar to yours. I want to support public services. I want to make them them better. I want to help people. I want to. But I do it very much from a, an advisory position mm-hmm. and just want mm-hmm. to try and promote through the podcast, through things, really great stories and share learning in that way. So it's it's already too vague. Maybe just yeah. I think I, I probably need to sit down and just clarify in my own head exactly what it is. I mean, I know what area I want to work in and the I think I know if I look back on it, what good would feel like. But yeah. I think I probably need to do a bit of thinking on that. Yeah, honing it down a little bit. So I've honed mine down to a phrase, which I keep coming back to, um, harnessing the power of the good for the greater yes. good is mine. Yes. So I'm working for the greater good, but and it's all positive, that, isn't it? So I'm, I'm, yeah. And it doesn't necessarily which field or whatever, but I know I'm trying to make big change. I can send yes. you some questions if you want. You can. Put I would love you to do that. I would love you to do that. Thank you. It feels like an exercise we could do with our team, actually, that would be really good for an away day or something. Yeah. Oh, fantastic. Helen, that's brilliant. Really appreciate your time. I thoroughly enjoyed that conversation. Thank you very much. Thank you. No, it's been a, a joy to talk about what I love doing. And it's great if, if anything goes out and inspires anybody or um, or if anybody wants to have a chat about anything, I'm dead keen to meet people because I find that I always learn through conversation as well. Excellent. Thank you. There's a lot to take from that conversation, so I really enjoyed it. I'm just looking through my notes here. The first thing is around how an independent organisation like the Calico Group can integrate services. And that's easy to say, but it was great to hear Helen talk about how they do that in practice. So information sharing across the organisation, one Calico, they called it, is obviously important so that everybody can see the same information about a person, different parts of the organization are supporting. And then that's the information bit, but the relationship bits between the different parts of the organization are so important. And Helen clearly has an emphasis on encouraging links between different parts of the organization and everybody understanding the full range of what Calico does. And that was really, really impressive. And as a commissioner, if you're listening to this, Surely this is the sort of organisation you would want to be delivering your services, one that can draw on such a range of support functions and deliver real holistic support for individuals. So just sticking with commissioners for a minute, there's that point about commissioners being more dynamic in how they commission and allowing a bit of flexibility within a contract in order to allow a provider a deliverer of services to respond to the changing needs of individuals. And those needs are changing all the time. And the old model of having a very rigid, structured contract where everything is set in stone just doesn't seem to work anymore. So big shout out to commissioners out there to think more dynamically and have a bit more flexibility in how you engage with providers and form a partnership with them. I love the idea of reverse mentoring. There's so much to learn from people at all levels in an organization. That's one of the things I really enjoy within Mutual Ventures. We recruit people from a whole range of backgrounds with a whole range of experiences, be that third sector, public sector, other consultancies. And I love getting their perspectives on things. And it's amazing to see someone at Helen's level actively engaging in that two-way mentoring, really, where I'm sure Helen is imparting 
guidance and knowledge to her mentee but the fact that she wants to get a point of view from the mentee as well is really fantastic and a real example for all of us and the final thing which struck me and I was thinking about this as I was making my notes for this roundup and it's that people join an organization because of what they read about it and what they've read about the exciting things that they do maybe they've spoken to somebody who works there but they stay in an organization because of the culture and that's why it's so important to not just recruit great people but to enable them to feel fulfilled and empower them and trust them give them control of their own destiny and through that way you'll have a really great organization with hopefully a low turnover so that's everything for this episode thank you so much as always for your time and please follow us wherever you get your podcasts and you might want to go back and check on some of the previous episodes there's one in particular with mark smith from gateshead who talks about his liberated method and i think if you've listened to this one you will see a lot of parallels in the way that mark describes some of the pilot work that he's been doing in gateshead <laughs>